Well, before we dig into God's word here, I want to review. I want for us to uh, take a few minutes here and, uh, if you will, set the table of where we've come from and uh, where we're at. Uh, these last eight Sundays, including this Sunday, uh, I have purposely majored on the areas of uh, our thinking and setting our thinking. And purposely, knowingly, I have minored on the areas of how to do that. Now, that isn't necessarily the way I would always do things because uh, we want to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So, Doug, then why are you emphasizing, saying that you're majoring on thinking issues? It's because of this. Because right thinking drives right living. Right theology drives right actions. Let me put it this way. I do what I do because I think what I think. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do I do the things that I do? What is the driving force behind that? The reality is, is because of the things that I'm thinking about. What is my paradigm for thinking? And so what I've been doing here is trying to set a table on some key things here of thinking about God's call on our lives so that we can then get after some of the doing, which is really going to be starting next Sunday. So let me just review where I've been kind of camping on the thinking. Number one, it's been investigation. I'll kind of use that word. If you remember at the very beginning of the series, if you weren't here at the very beginning of the series, we went back to the beginning of a couple of the Gospels and took a look at how Jesus Christ, before the disciples were actually the, quote, disciples. Uh, They were just normal guys out there. Christ invited them over and basically said, come, investigate me in essence. And it's just a reminder of this. Jesus Christ wants you to check him out. If you're in a place in your life where you're just kind of like the Bible thing, the God thing, church thing. I'm just not really sure about this. I'm not even sure if it's for real or if that's really the God's word. I'm, hey, I want to tell you, I love people who ask those questions. And a lot of times in churches, we kind of make it seem like you can't ask that questions. I want to tell you what, I love people who ask those questions. And I love it because in essence, that's what Jesus did. Feel free, check me out. I'd love for you to investigation. The second is on the board, I have redemption. I, if I could go back and redo my PowerPoint, I'd actually call it, and they kind of go together, I'd call that decision. Uh, talking about this idea of uh, those when the disciples came to meet Christ and had an opportunity to investigate him, spend the day with him, they then later on, it was actually a year later, Christ came to them. They had this thinking process going on, and Christ came to them and asked them basically, hey, follow me. It was a decision point. It was moving from investigation into decision. Uh, We would know that, in essence, coming to redemption, coming to to know Christ as your Savior. Uh, Ask the questions, learn, check it out. But then there has to come a point where you make a decision. And frankly, whether the decision is no or yes, the issue is make that decision. Because by making no decision, you are saying no. So decision. The third I would call transformation. It's this, because when Jesus came and he called the disciples, he says, follow me. He said, I will make you into someone. Uh, So often in our culture, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and taught in such a way that it's kind of like, you know, come forward, receive Jesus, have this thing, and you have the golden ticket. And that's it. And it's like, that's what it's all about. And it ends there. I just want to let you know, that's the beginning. 
Because now you're a child of God. And God has designed it and called it to be the kind of thing where you're to, you and I are to be transformed. And that's an ongoing, lifelong process of transformation. Transformation, a decision slash redemption, and, uh, or investigation, a decision, and transformation. Now, transformation really, as we've talked about in summarizing, has had two things. I've gone to Mark chapter 12 and taken out of it. Number one, uh, in this dialogue Jesus has with this scribe, with this lawyer, he asks him, he says, what are, what are the main things to be about? And he says, well, so in essence, what's a disciple about? It's about two things. Love God. Love God. Follower of Christ, you have been called to be someone that loves God. Oh, I have warm feelings for God. No, that's not what it's talking about. The scriptures are very clear. Christ talks about this whole thing. No, no, no. It's called about this radical love. By the way, love is first an action, not first a feeling. Love is an action first. And in it, he says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with your all. None of this comfy, cozy, Jesus is my Santa Claus kind of easy believism Christianity. Jesus is like, listen, that is so not what I'm about. I'm about, check me out. Receive me as your savior. And listen, I want to completely transform you into something that you don't even know how awesome it is, but it's for me. It's for me. And that means to love God. And then the other we've talked about is to love others. A word of thinking aspect here, and it's to know that Christ has called us not only to love God, but to love others. And not just love others when it's convenient, not just love others second, but it's love others first, before me. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about how that includes loving the world, loving the nations. Listen, it's way beyond just right here. It's the whole world. God wants us to love the world and the nations. Last week, we talked about love the hurting, love the orphaned the widow, and the poor. There is a very special place in God's heart through all of Scripture that clearly tells us God has a special place in his heart for those people. And we're to be a part of that. Well, today we're going to talk about kind of this last thinking thing, love the local family, love the, I should say, love the faith family, love the church. But before we get that, let me just note this. Next Sunday, we're turning from majoring on the thinking to majoring on the acting. We're going to be setting a table. We're going to be gathering around a table together next will, if you will, next week, if you will. It's going to be a unique Sunday, and we're going to talk about what this looks like. Because I don't know about you, is this after a while it starts feeling like, man, I come to church and I got one more thing I got to do. And she's like, how do I do this? How do I do all this? We're going to talk about that next week. How do we actually get after this? And what does it look like to be a people that are living out the one and others of Scripture? Well, let's finish today by setting the table with love the faith family. Hey, Doug, church is outdated. Doug, church is irrelevant. Church is dysfunctional. Uh, It could be Jesus is my thing, but not the church. It could be church is an extracurricular activity. It's It's an optional thing. Or it could be a church is like a fast food restaurant. I love the fact that it's near me. I love the fact that it's convenient. I love the fact that I can kind of go in, stop in, get something to eat, and then head on out and live my life. Or I'm just not sure if it's worth all this work setting up, going to small group, doing all this kind of stuff. 
And listen, there's a lot of understandable thoughts behind those questions. I understand them. I've asked them all myself. But here's what I want for us to focus on today as we talk about this aspect of the church loving the faith family. It's really not so much about how you and I see it. It's about, today is about how does God see it? How does God see his church? Um, Because I'm supposed to line up with God's thinking. Okay? How do we see that? Well, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Hey, we're going to be anchoring ourselves in one verse today. Yeah. There's a surprise, huh? One verse today, we're going to be anchoring ourselves. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Obviously, the Spirit of God, it's God's Word, and he's writing through Paul, but Paul is writing this. He's writing this to Timothy, one of his closest church-planting partners. Timothy is a young man, Um, And he's writing to him, talking about ministry, talking about ministry in the local church, really, in most all of this. He's talking about its purposes, about attitudes, about practices. It even includes leadership. You can see in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, it talks about overseers or elders and, and deacons there. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's go down. We'll read verse 14 and go into 15. Here we go. You ready? Bible's open. Alrighty, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, Paul says, but I'm writing these things to you so that, in other words, the purpose that, if I am delayed, you will know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Four descriptive terms here. How many descriptive terms? Let's hit the first one, the household of God, the household. Now, this Greek word, uh, this word in the Greek for household can have two different meanings to it. Let me just mention the two and the one that I think that it's talking about here. The one that I don't think it's talking about, but one option is a dwelling place. It's actually talking about a household is like bricks and mortar, the building part of it. Uh, It could be that, and it could make sense, because when you think about it, in the Old Testament, we look at the Old Testament, and there was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was like a big tent. It was a big tent that the Israelites carried around with them after the exodus, before going into the conquest of the promised land, and they carried around with them as they were moving around. And that was the place that was in that building, if you will, that the Shekinah glory of God resided. And God established it to be that way, and God wanted it to be that way. And so we think about that, and we go, well, it could be talking about a building. Also, we know after the tabernacle became the temple in Jerusalem, the temple is the permanent physical structure that was built there in Jerusalem to take the place of the moving, rotating carnival. I don't mean that that way, but, you know, that tent-like kind of a thing. There And so that's what was taking place. So in some ways we think about that and it goes, well, maybe this is talking about a physical place uh, because of the Old Testament. Plus, the context of Timothy in chapter 3, it's, it's talking about local church ministry. So in this, we could be thinking, well, it's talking about how elders and, and deacons are structured. And now it's talking about kind of within that physical uh, uh, building itself. But I think there's a problem with that. And here's why I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that because the context of the passage is not talking about facility functions. It's actually talking about people. 
In fact, all First Timothy is talking about people, and we don't see facility issues, if you will, being addressed. Along with that is just the use of the Greek word oikos in First Timothy and Second Timothy. It's used multiple times in both books, and never is it used as a physical dwelling structure. Every time it is used in reference to people, to a gathering group of people. Uh, let me call it a household. A household not of bricks and mortar, but the household of the family people. Okay? So the second meaning of this, which I think it is, is the family. It's a, it's a unit of people. It's a faith family here. Verses 4 and 5 in 1 Timothy 3 speak of the elder's family, this oikos word. Well, it's not talking about does he take care of his house well. It's talking about does he take care of his family well. Same thing with deacons. It's not talking about if he's a good carer of his home, if he has nice siding and nice shingles. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about is he administrating his family well. And here it's also talking about people. By the way, whose household is this? God's. Very important. (laughs) Very important. This isn't man's household. This isn't my household. This actually isn't your household. This is whose household? Listen, when it's talking about this, it's talking about God's household. Uh, Let's talk about this for a minute because there's actually a universal church as well as a local church, a universal church, the universal faith family. I would understand that to be all of those individuals from the time of Acts chapter 2, which I would understand is the beginning of the church, as I'm talking about here, all the way to, in, in my uh, in, in my eschatology, and my uh, seeing of what's going to be happening in the future, the rapture of the church. See, I'm before the tribulation. If you're mid-trib or post-trib, have fun. Um, <laughs> I want out at that time, okay? But we're just saying between all people, between that time who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, have repented of their sins, received Christ as their Savior, and are walking with him. That's what we're talking about, that family of people in there. There's a universal church. In fact, turn over to the left in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. This is a really cool passage because I want for us to ponder this reality. If you know Christ as your Savior... If you know that you know that you know, if you have come to a place where you have driven the stake in the ground, as I've talked about many times here, driven the stake in the ground with Christ, come to that decision point, made a commitment to Christ and are pursuing after him, turned, and you are part of something way big and way super cool. You are part of God's family, universal. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read this in verse 11. Therefore, remember. Now, remember is thinking, okay? So I'm still following in this thinking reality. Let's think about this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember, think that you were at the time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Look at this, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, I love the buts of scripture, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being its cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. What a cool passage. Hey, if you know Christ is your savior, you are part of that. That's a great thing to be a part of. That's a great thing to be a part of. The universal church, Jesus Christ gave himself for it. He is the head of it. He is the chief cornerstone of it. He feeds and cares for it. He has redeemed the follower of Christ to be in that. The universal church, wonderful thing. The universal church is lived out in the local church. Well, let's talk about the local church here for just a moment. Uh, what's the local church? Those believers in God's universal family who live in a particular area and gather as a local body of Christ. First Timothy 3 is centering on this issue of relating to the local church faith family. I want for us to understand the local church is not about a corporation. Are we incorporated? Yeah, we are, but it's not about that. It's not about an entity. It's not about a building. It's not about property. It's not about assets. Now, I will tell you this. I am so jazzed looking forward to being able to get into a building someday. And would you keep praying? Because we are like digging, working hard on trying to get into a place here. And God's doing some cool stuff. And we're going to let you know as some time moves along. But right now, there's some critical things that are taking place. I would just ask that you would pray on that. It's a big deal. I can't wait. And so can't you who've been here since 630 this morning. But it's not about that. Let me even just say this. The local church is not mine. It's not yours. It's even, quote, not ours. We could even say that it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God. It's all about God. It's about me and you being all about him. The verse 15 household is God's thing. He made it. He designed it. Therefore, I'll even put it this way. What you and I think isn't all that important. How I see it doesn't really matter. Now, I know how we think and how we see it has implications to how we live that out, but I'm putting it in this way. It's all about how does God see it. That's the issue. 
You see, because how God sees his people, how God sees his church, and is supposed, I'm supposed to put myself in line with that. I'm supposed to put myself in parallel with that. I'm supposed to think about life and things the way God thinks about things. That's why he gave us his word. And when I sit back and I go, the whole local church thing, what a waste. It's so dysfunctional. Well, duh, yeah, it is because it's like, Sinners, redeemed sinners are a part of it. By the way, whose family is not dysfunctional? (laughs) Duh. But I'm telling you, God loves it. And if God loves it, seriously, whatever I think and whatever's going on, I'm to get myself in a line with God's thinking about everything in life. And that includes the local church as well. But Doug, it's outdated. No, but is that how God sees it? But Doug, it's dysfunctional. Well, yeah. And sometimes really grossly, sadly, horribly dysfunctional. And God grieves over it. But you know what? He still loves it. And he's still all about it. Well, Doug, I'm part of the God's universal faith family. I really don't need the local family. It's optional. It's not my thing. No, no, listen. This is God's household. God's household. Second descriptive term that Paul uses. First was the household of God. Second, in the text, it says the church of the living God. Big deal. The church is not a human institution. It originated from God. He owns it. And get this, he's alive. It's a big deal because think about it. If he owns it, if the owner of it is someone who's dead, well, that is some pretty big ramifications on what he owns. Uh, Now, This is really important here in the text because uh, Timothy is in Ephesus. Ephesus was a center place at that time for all kinds of idol worshiping. I mean, there were temples and gods and goddesses everywhere. There were stone gods and wood gods and metal gods made out of all that stuff. And people worshiped them. And you could go, you know, downtown Avon and just have your pick of God's store on what you wanted. And all of the gods, small g gods in all of those things, listen, they're not alive. And if they're not alive, then the entity of it is not alive. But Paul adds in here this fact. Hey, it's God's household. And let's remember, the owner of it lives. And the owner of it is intricately and personally involved in. In fact, I can even just go through here quickly. The whole trinity is involved in the local church. The father sent his beloved son, John 3.16, to die for it. Scripture tells us that the father participates continually in the fellowship of the church and the local church. That's the father, the spirit. The spirit started it, initiated it, if you will, in Acts chapter 2. He brings each redeemed person into the church, the universal church. He works to promote peace and unity within the local church, the scriptures tells us. He provides gifts to his children to be used in the local church. That's the spirit and the son. Well, he loves it. He gave himself up for it. He's head of it. And it's even named the body of Christ. Just that name alone means it's a big deal. It's the body of Christ. He is present in it. When it does loving restoration, like Matthew 18 talks about, he's there. He's coming for it. 
And the list goes on. First Peter chapter one, verses one through two, kind of paraphrase in essence says this to the universal faith family and the faith families in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, all the local churches, as well as in the beginning, it's making reference to the universal church. They have been foreknown by God the Father. They have been sanctified of the Spirit, all for the obedience to Jesus Christ. Listen, the whole Trinity is in on the thing. And that's a big deal. The universal church is a church of the living God, and the local church is a church of the, the, the church of the living God. I just want to kind of note this. Over the years, I've tried to scour for passages that would give us a clue, as some people allude to and talk about, kind of like the whole church thing, yeah, whatever, it's not that big a deal, it's kind of outdated, it's irrelevant. I've scoured through the Bible, and I'm just telling you, I don't find that. You just don't find that. Nowhere is God the owner, the designer, and the empower of his church saying or implying the local church thing was good for a time, but it's kind of outdated. Nowhere do we see that it's kind of a set to where it's an extracurricular, optional, outdated entity. I'm just going to tell you it's not in the Bible. But yet in all reality, we live in a day and age where so many think that way. I don't know, maybe you do. I just want to challenge you. Are you seeing it the way God sees it? Are your friends seeing it the way God sees it? Does our world and our media see it the way God sees it? Let's see it the way God sees it. So first, it's the household of God. Second, it's the household of the living God. Third, God calls it a pillar. And not only did I try and find areas where like we could back out of this whole endeavor and I could get a different job, Uh, but it talks about it actually ups the ante. Look at verse 15 here. It says, which is the church of the living God, a pillar. Now, a pillar, let's talk about that. What is a pillar? Well, a pillar is a column. It's pretty simple. (laughs) It's a big beefy thing that holds stuff up. In that day, in Ephesus, there was a temple there that had, it was like 123 or 127 pillars in one temple. That's one serious pillared temple. What was the purpose of all of those pillars? By the way, all those pillars were given from various people and places, kind of as gifts there. So each of the pillars was unique unto its own. It's kind of like some of these electrical boxes around Avon, each painted uniquely. Well, there they gave these unique pillars. And all these 123, 127 pillars are there. And what are they there for? They're there to hold up the roof. That's what they're there for. And look at this. It's a pillar, it's a column, it's a structure to hold something up. What's it holding up? You tell me. Truth. It's a pillar of truth. Think about this. God is saying that his local church is a pillar of his truth. It's like this. This is the pillar. This is the local church. This is God's truth. What's holding God's truth up? Here in this analogy, here in this picture he's giving, it's saying the local church. Folks, that's us. Oh, let's carry the picture out because we could end this. We could say, yeah, but God has promised in his word that he will uphold his church forever and he will uphold his word forever. True, absolutely. God holds it all up, but clearly in this, that can't take away from what is being taught here, the fact of the importance. The local church is the place that holds God's truth up. And if the local church bags it, 
The image is God's word falls. Right? Folks, that's one of the reasons why this is so important. God has laid on you and me as a faith family together. We have a responsibility to hold up God's truth. That's a big deal. So when we step out from under it, the roof falls. Some of you have come from churches that aren't about the truth of the scriptures. And you know what that's like. By the way, I just want to kind of put this in the elders at one of our meetings here a little while ago. We were reading through Proverbs 18. Came across this verse. Write this down. Proverbs 18.1. This is huge. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Listen to this. He breaks out against all sound judgment. This is the image, carrying it over to 1 Timothy 3. God has put the local church as a, as, a, as a pillar of his truth. And if I, as part of the universal church, in essence, I'm not part of that, or I'm going to go rogue, and I'm just going to do it on my own. You know what? Because I'm part of the universal church, so bag the local, because it's so dysfunctional. And by the way, there's a whole bunch of hypocrites there. And yeah, both of those are true. But the fact of the matter is God still loves it. And the fact of the matter is God still calls it a pillar. And if I get out from under there, here in the scripture, it talks about when I get out from under that reality and I go rogue on my own, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. That's why finding a local church that's teaching the scriptures, holding to the scriptures is so important. Let me just quickly give you four ways the local church under this pillar of truth. Four ways it, it's been a, it been and it has been and is a pillar of truth. Just quick, four quick ones. One revelation, especially special revelation. You know, the whole New Testament, or I, I'll say this, the majority of the New Testament came out of the local church reality structure. People, Paul and Barnabas and, uh, who, who went on a mission, what, they didn't go rogue on their own. Yeah, God sent them, but they were sent out by the local church. The local church is just a part of all of it. Uh, the writing of scripture, it's not only two local churches, a vast majority of the New Testament, but it's also people who have been supported by, who are kind of, if you will, quote, ordained out of or, or, or called along by the local church. Special revelation. Another is proclamation. Well, God's finished revealing his special revelation, the Bible. The church remains his chosen instrument to proclaim it. In scripture, it is always the church that is initiating and sending out the sending out to proclaim institution always in the New Testament. Uh, third, administration. Uh, the church is a pillar of God's truth because only in it can a number of things take place. Uh, we see in the scriptures that uh, there are just these exhaustive plans giving. And yet I also love this, the fact there's not a whole lot said about a lot of areas on how to do church on Sunday. You know, by the way, I just want for you to know, do you know that in this, back in this day, they didn't have hymnals? They didn't. I'm serious. And by the way, they didn't have PowerPoint. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of flexibility with some things. And yet there's also things that are nailed down to where specifically that in essence, they're designed to be in the local church. So let me give you a few of them. Baptism. I'm just going to tell you, that's a local church thing as we look in the scriptures. 
Communion, it's a local church thing. Giving, that's primarily a local church thing. I don't have time to go into it, but I will say this. Karen and I are involved in supporting a few people who are outside of our local church who we've known since high school. We're involved in supporting them in ministries uh, in other places. And so I'm not saying that you can't do anything support outside of the local church. I'm not saying that, but I am saying this. I think there is a good, a good focus and a good principle that we see in scriptures that this should be the main core of it. Uh, leadership. We see that happening. I'll just pray for us. We're right now in the process of looking to bring one, uh, considering one more elder to come on our leadership. We're right now as elders going through and we're working out all how the, the deconstruction and structure and how can we get and where do we get uh, the guys we're talking with about on this. Corporate worship, that's a local church thing. Uh, preaching of the word is a local church thing. You, you get an idea that, uh, I'll just tell you, I'm big about the local church thing, not because this is where I get my pay, but because God is big about his church, universal and local. I'm going to add to that one as well in a pillar. It protects truth. Romans 16, Titus 3, Second John talks about how it judges, the local churches to judge teaching. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about how it's to resolve disputes. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3 talks about how it provides accountability. By being a part of a local church, by placing yourself in that local church, you are placing yourself under the structure and the leadership of it for your good. So the local church is the household of God. The local church is the living household of God. It's a pillar of God's truth. And last, it's a foundation of truth. Uh, let's take a look here at the last. A pillar and a buttress. I have the English Standard Version. And a buttress of truth. Now, what that word is talking about, it's a support. It's a foundation. It's kind of cool because in many ways, I think the King James Version nails this one. The KJV actually says ground. It's a pillar and ground of truth. The word is used as a foundation. I think this is accentuating how absolutely big of a deal the local church is to God. It's this. Not only is the local church the pillar, but the local church is viewed as the foundation that the pillar stands on. Pillars come and go. Foundations aren't supposed to. Okay, and God has promised that his local church will stand. That means there's, in this word, it's used at times with a sense of permanence. There's a permanence here. And the local church is there holding up God's truth. It's a foundation as well. There's a permanence. May I just remind us that scripture calls, we don't have time, but scripture calls us his bride. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. The church, faith family of the living God, has been given the ordained task to permanently hold up God's truth. That's why on Sundays we seek to open up the scriptures and not open up philosophical thinking on my part. It's about God's word and training you. Ephesians talks about how my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's my job. My job isn't to do the work of the ministry. My job is to train you to do it. 
I like that. No, okay. But that's the reality. Let me just kind of wrap this. Friends, God has a high view of the local church. A high view. Do you? Let me say, well, Doug, I'm here. (laughs) That doesn't necessarily mean that you have a high view of the local church. I'm okay with you struggling through and wondering through. That's okay. Part of my teaching today is to get you to think. Are you in line with seeing it the way God sees it? You are part of something big, as you can see on the screen. And yet, praise God for all the local churches around the world. And this is one of those. How do you see it? Let me just read this quote here from uh, Sharon Betters in her book, Treasures of Encouragement. She says, to ease the guilt of non-involvement, to ease the guilt of non-involvement, we charge the church with the job of meeting needs. In other words, I don't have to get involved because my job, the, church, the job of this church is to meet your needs. Well, hold on, wait a second here. That's awful selfish to be frank about it. The ease of guilt of non-involvement, we charge the church with the job of meeting needs. We forget that we are the church. We are the church. The universal global lived local. That's what we're talking about here. In congregations, she says, where believers think of their church as a living organism, a body, rather than just as an institution, the church pulsates with hope and with healing. Oh, Lord, if we ever get to a place where this is about an organization, shut us down. This is all about him and God's people joyfully serving together to do that. Uh, the statement I've had up on the PowerPoint since the beginning, uh, think globally and love locally, uh, was stated by Brian Hobbing and Les Newsom. I love that. Think globally. Hey, if you are a child of God, you are part of his universal church. You know, there are redeemed people in China. You're a part of them. There are redeemed people in Pakistan. There are saved people in Japan and Korea. People in Australia have come to know that Jesus loves them, died for them, and has received them as his Savior. You're part of them. People in Canada and Mexico and Brazil and Peru and Venezuela, part of them who have come to Christ. People in Spain and France and Germany, part of the universal body. People in Russia and Siberia, People in India, people in Uganda, and people in South Africa, and people in Madagascar. Oh yeah, and people in Haiti and St. Vincent Island. Part. And then also on top of that, we're part of a place right here. We live here, friends. We rejoice in the thinking that we're part of the big But the reality is the universal church can be lived right here. And this is supposed to be the universal church lived out here. And I'm grateful for other churches around. I'm grateful for churches like Kevin Kotke over at Plainfield Bible and up at Brownsburg Bible. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful to hear the stories of people who've come to Christ over at Kingsway. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for people who have come to Christ and are being discipled at other places. I just, you know, connection point, Bethesda Baptist Church, uh, 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 others around the area. 
Listen, I don't want to sit here and go, it's like, we are the world. It is all right here. God's love is centered right here. Well, it is, but it's also a part, and this is a part of God's universal family lived right here. It's a big deal, friends. It's a big, big, wonderful, stinking deal. Let me just make some couple statements. If you're looking for a church home, I just want to encourage you, way to go. You see, because a lot of people, when they move or they get in places, they don't look for a church home because it's irrelevant to them. I'm glad you're looking for a church home if that's you. If this is a place, wonderful. If God would have you somewhere else where you can be serving and growing in the word somewhere else, wonderful. We just want, as a universal part of the family, we want you in a place where you can be growing and serving and worshiping him in a significant capacity. Make sure to be a part of a church that truly is about the scripture and is not just about doing church, but is about being the church. There is a difference. Now, I'll just say this. If you're in a healing process, I've just been amazed when we came here, the number of people who uh, God just has brought our way have gone through some real life and ministry hurts. Karen and I know about some of those. Been hurt, been burnt out, And I just want to let you know, heal. If we can be a part of that healing process for you, we'd love that. We don't get all hyped up about you got to hurry up and sign on the dotted line here. We're just like, listen, if you need to take time to heal and we can be a part of that and encourage you in your walk with Christ, marvelous. Even if that means you go minister somewhere else. It's universal, but it's also local. And we just want to encourage you with that. I also want to encourage you this though as well. If you're in healing mode, be careful because oftentimes we know you can get in healing mode and stay in healing mode. There's times where you need to take a rest from the game over on the sidelines and just get recouped up and put the oxygen over your mouth for a while. But then there's a time to get back in and jump back into what Christ has called us to do. Uh, Last year, If you've settled here, if this is your church home, have you settled here? I mean, and I mean by that, not just do you come here, but are you living a local church the way God has called his children to live the local church? Not a fast food restaurant. But are you serving here? Are you giving here? Are you ministering here? Are you growing here? Are you getting uncomfortable right now? We're just being transparent and real. If that means you've come to Christ and... (sighs) Haven't been baptized? Let us know. I'm sorry. We just got some cool stories going on. Some people's lives, God's just working on it away and coming to Christ like never before here. If you're not a member, I want to encourage you to. I just want to read this from John Piper. John uh, usually talks very softly and doesn't get at things very quickly. (laughs) Not. Here we go. 
What I mean by member is somebody who, whether by a signature or word of commitment or promise, says, I'm committed to a people, a people who hear the word of God preached, a people who perform the ordinances that Jesus gave to his church, and a people who commit to one another commandments. Uh, Those commitments are what membership is, and I think something is wrong if you resist putting your name on the line for that. The reason for even using the word member is because of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 where Paul uses the word member in a body analogy. The local church, not just the global church, but the local church is a body. There's global membership in the body universal and there's local membership in the body where I'm a finger or an eye or an ear or a foot and everybody is a member. So the word member in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 means you're part of a local organism. And the finger belongs. It, it should care about what, other, what happens to the eye. And the eye, what happens to the finger. And it should function in a way that is some organic coherence to it. It's very hard to do what the Bible calls a church unless it knows who the members are and who they aren't. If you want to say, okay, I believe the New Testament says be a part of a community, give yourself to ministering there and receive ministry there and advancing the cause of the gospel there and upholding the name of Jesus there and doing mission there, and I'm a part of that, then to resist putting your name on the line for that is probably not a biblical conviction. It's probably an American independent, give me elbow room, don't get in my face too often conviction that I don't think is biblical. I don't mean to be hard or rude about it. I'm just encouraging you to consider uh, if that's your next step, I want to encourage you to do that. Get in a small group. We're a discipling church. Serve here. We want to be a part. And lastly, I want to say thank you. We have so many people here that serve this place because they love God. And they do it with a tenacity and a joy and a long suffering that I just go, rock on, baby. Because God sees it big. Hey, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, uh, today was just a day to kind of set some thinking in our own minds about the beauty of the local church, the importance of the local church, and how you see it. And I just pray that we would be a people that see it as you see it. And Lord, I pray for folks who are new to, quote, church, who are new to this idea of what this is all about. Lord, I just am so grateful that they would be here and that they would be willing to come back and consider. And I just pray we would be a place that ministers to people wherever they are at with you. Because it is all about you. You're good. It's your household. You're the living God of it. We're to be a pillar of truth. We're to be a foundation of truth. Oh God, may we mature into that, into a kind of a place that isn't so much about a place, but it's about a people that are used by an awesome God. In your name we pray. Amen.